Today we're going to talk about what I should know about the gift of salvation. What I should know about the gift of salvation. This is about your identity. Identity theft has become a very common global problem in our world today. It happens when someone takes some part or all of our identity that's written somewhere, things like our name and our birthday, uh, possibly credit card numbers. Worse would be giving up a social security number. Um, and then when people take these, they steal them and they use them for purposes um, illegally for their own advantage. It can happen many different ways. Sometimes a credit card company can get hacked. That's happened. Um, sometimes you may accidentally give your personal information to the wrong person. Uh, fortunately, we don't do the credit cards where there was a receipt that ended up in the garbage anymore because that's an easy way to steal uh, someone's identity. Uh, sometimes people respond to an unsolicited email. It's called phishing, and uh, they give out too much information. Um, in 2021, Americans lost $5.8 billion to identity theft. In 2021, $2.8 billion was lost to imposter scams. Identity theft happens every 22 seconds. Last year, people paid $50 million in ransom because of ransomware on their computers. $800 million was lost on social media. So be careful what you post. Some people posted their vaccination cards. And other people gained access to their personal information. Um, when it comes to our personal identity, who we are, it's way more than about losing money. When it comes to our personal identity, when it comes to your personal identity, do you know who you are? Who are you? There's a lot of confusion about this subject today. And I'm not even going to try to address some of it. But for some people, their identity comes from their work. And I confess that I sometimes um, am tempted to find my identity in what I do. Sometimes people find their identity in their physical appearance. And, you know, if that changes, that, that creates a problem. Some people find their identity in who their friends are. Some people find their identity in their performance. How do they do? It might be a musical ability, and they perform really well, and they find identity in that. And some people in athletics, and they perform with excellence, and they find their identity in that. Some people find their identity in their kids. Some, some people find their identity in their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Do you know who you are? If you are a follower of Christ, your identity primarily comes from someone else. You ever think about that? Your identity comes from someone else. 
It comes from Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. Um, we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. I want you to stay with me. We're going to move um, a lot, a lot to cover. It's going to be important, and if you can, if you'll stay with me, I think you'll start seeing how it fits and how it affects who we are. The Apostle Paul writes, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, it's by grace. Now, we've seen this verse many, many times. You may be well familiar with it. It's by grace. It's God's unmerited favor. It's not something we earn or deserve. It is by grace. It is by grace you're, you've been saved, that is, saved from the penalty of sin, delivered from the power of sin, and it's through faith, through, through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's not by works, just in case we get confused and think it's about our performance, about being good. It's not by works so that no one could boast. Because what happens when people start making a list of all the good things they've done and they have this religious focus, they begin to think they're better than other people and it produces pride. That's not what Scripture has in mind at all when it comes about being saved. And we're not saved by how many things we do or, or how good we are uh, or who our parents were. And um, the key here that I want us to see is that salvation is the gift of God. Okay? This passage is going to guide us right into the first point. So, first point, our gift of salvation includes these following truths. We're going to uh, make some observations here. Um, and here's the assumption I want us to have. Um, salvation is our gift uh, because it was given to us. It's a gift. It was given to us. We had to receive it by faith, and now we have it. Okay? Um, and here, and uh, so it's a gift of God. It's been received. And think of it right now, we're going to unwrap the gift. And I know if I'd have thought really well, I'd have a cool package up here, and it would be wrapped with a beautiful bow, and I would invite somebody from the audience to come up and unwrap it, and inside there'd be a great surprise. But I didn't plan ahead, okay? <laughs> Here's some observations. It's a gift, remember? Uh, the first one is it's not based on our feelings or experience. This is an important one. Sometimes people get confused about how they feel about God, or they, they even begin to question, am I really a Christian? Am I, have I really been saved? And I want to just, it is not based, yes, your feelings are important in life. Feelings validate our experience. Some people have uh, an emotional experience when they place their faith in Christ. Some people do not. It's not like a... But what, I just want to be clear. It's not based on our feelings. Uh, your personal relationship with God is not based on feelings. You might let your feelings um, 
influence you in your relationship with God, but it is not based on your feelings. Um, a common response to receiving the gift of salvation might be gratitude. That would be an appropriate feeling. It's not required. Um, everyone is different, and it's okay. Salvation does not require us to feel a certain way. Okay, next. It's not progressive. It does not improve or get better because it was perfect when get, given. Sometimes people don't understand that. You got the whole deal. It's the same one as mine. You got all of it, all right? Um, it was perfect, totally complete when it was given. It's not going to slide away. It's not going to become less valuable or less important. It's not going to get any better because it's already perfect, all right? Also, um, it is not merited because there is no goodness or achievement in us that caused God to give uh, his gift to us. It's not merit. Uh, no merit ba badges count. It's not about your family or your education or Anything about you, you know, it's not because you're a good person. Uh, because in God's eyes, we're just all sinners. All of us. We all have the same boat. We all get separated from God. And um, you know, some people, this, this is a real problem, a common problem, common viewpoint in our, in our situation. You know, people just don't like the idea of being a sinner. And, you know, it's, I'm a good person. And, and so the gospel just drops right there. It can't get beyond that. I'm, I'm basically a good person. You're basically a good person. Why do I need to be, to be saved? Um, next, it's eternal. Our salvation is eternal. It lasts as long as the merits of Christ's death on the cross. It doesn't change. It is eternal. How long does it last? Christ's death is infinitely valuable. It is not running out. It, 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 it has paid the price, and uh, it is eternal. Next, it's based on God's revelation, not on anyone's wishful thinking or emotional response. Now, this is kind of an important one. Based on God's revelation, it has the authority of God Almighty. It's not just someone's opinion. It has the authority of God. Um, God's word does not change. God is not fickle. You can trust it. Um, so, um, sometimes people worry about it. Um, it's based on God's revelation. Now, this is kind of important because God has spoken a lot of things in his word, and it's really important that we know it. Um, for example, um, I, 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 I love that Nicole referred to this in her story. You and I were created in the image of God. God has a very high view of humanity. Uh, he put us at the top of creation, and he gave us the responsibility to rule over creation, way above the animal kingdom. Um, and he said that he created humanity 
male and female. He designated. He's the designer. One of the problems is we want to, humans want to create God in their image and they want to create themselves in the image that they want. And yet, God has revealed uh, what he has designed and what he desires. Um, it's also accomplished, lastly, by God alone, not by our efforts. Now, we've said this in many different ways. Just clearly, your salvation is a God thing. God did it. We don't add to it. You know, sometimes we think, well, I, if I believe, now I've got to be good. And I'm just going to, if I don't be good, something might happen to it. No, but it's, it's not about you. Um, you and I were never good enough to be saved from the penalty of our sin. Never good enough. You know what? You and I will never be good enough to be saved no matter how hard we try, we will never be good enough. It is a gift that we receive. And it has a tremendous power to change us. Okay? Second major point is our gift of salvation places us in God's forever family. We, we, are, we are entering a new family. It's called the church. And it's a, it's a whole new set of relationships where we uh, learn to love people and to serve other people and to learn from other people. This is really great news when some of us have come from some pretty dysfunctional home situations where we didn't have a father and mother who loved each other and loved us and provided a secure environment for us to grow up and to be curious and to ask questions and to show us how to have a relationship with God. God has placed us in a forever family. Uh, the first thing I want to say about that is we've been given a spiritual birth. There is a spiritual beginning point to, the, to our salvation, to our relationship with God. Everybody has to have a beginning point. And it is the same beginning for every person. It may happen at a different time, but everybody has to experience a spiritual birth. Um, a baby has a beginning. A baby has a physical birth. For you to have salvation, you need to have a spiritual birth. Um, for the first 25 years of my life, I tried religion, I tried some church stuff, I learned some things, but I never experienced a spiritual birth the whole time. I was confirmed, no spiritual birth, okay? Now, Jesus speaks of this. He, start, he speaks of this starting point in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 3. Jesus replied very truly, uh, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God. And he's speaking about the future. He's speaking about heaven uh, unless they are born again. New term, never mentioned before in the history of man, born again. It's used in a lot of different ways today. Jesus, this was Jesus' idea. 
Uh, let's see what he means. He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an older, wise Jewish leader, a Pharisee, probably in his 60s. Jesus is in his 30s. Really out of character for this highly educated man to be talking to this carpenter and asking questions. And verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? That's really a practical question. How can you be born when you're old? Nicodemus asked, surely uh, they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Good, good observation. Can't happen. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter. Next slide. The kingdom of God, unless they are born of water and the Spirit. That's the answer. But this has been confused by, in history by a lot of different people. Some have wanted to say this means water baptism, and then later you get a spiritual birth. This uh, born of water some have assumed that means water baptism. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He answers this right away in verse 6. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Boy, that makes sense. Physical life gives birth to physical life. And then he says, um, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Spiritual life comes from the spirit, the Holy Spirit. A spiritual birth, both are needed. There are two births. One is the physical birth. Baby comes into the world in a normal way. The other is a spiritual birth. When we get connected to God and have an opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God. Um, and then Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So I experienced a physical birth just around 100 years ago or so. It was a long time ago. I don't remember it. And then when I was 25, I'd already gone through church and stuff like that. And by this time, I'm an atheist because nothing worked. But when I was 25 and I heard the gospel and it just became really clear to me that I understood that I was a sinner and that I deserved a spiritual death, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and he paid the penalty for my sins 2,000 years ago. And my sin penalty had already been paid because Jesus' life is infinitely valuable, and it's big enough to cover the sin of the entire world forever. When I placed my faith in Christ, I was born again. I didn't have a big emotional experience, as you might imagine, but it was real. It was real. God began to change my life on the inside, and I knew I'd been forgiven. And I didn't even know how bad I needed forgiveness until I experienced it. Um, that's when my spiritual life got started. Another passage Paul refers to as Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, meaning when Jesus walked this earth in, in the first century, he saved us when he died on the cross, not because of righteous things we had done. We saw that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But because of his mercy, he saved us. And here's one of those tricky verses. 
through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, the church I grew up in taught that this meant baptism, the washing of rebirth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit was something that would happen later, maybe at confirmation. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He saved us through the washing of rebirth by the Holy Spirit. I was spiritually cleansed when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. You might say I was washed by the blood of the Lamb, if you want to say that. His life paid for my life. I was spiritually cleansed by the Holy Spirit. And I was given this new life by the Holy Spirit. Um, next point, we have, a new, we have been given a new nature. With a new spiritual birth comes a new spiritual life, a, a new capacity. Think in terms, a nature, a new nature is a new capacity. It didn't exist in the old Jerry. I was just wired to be mostly self-centered. You know, sometimes I could try to be kind, but it wasn't a God thing. It was just a Jerry thing. And, um, but I didn't have the capacity to have a relationship with God. It's impossible for a person who doesn't know Jesus to have a capacity for God yet. This capacity was given at my salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Do we have that? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. I guess we do not. Through these, uh, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We had this connection with God and his nature. We were born of God, John chapter 3, born again spiritually. And with this connection comes this capacity, this new nature to be the new man. I became the new Jerry. My wife really liked that. Okay? There was hope for us. Um, also now, we have been made children of God. God calls us his children. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. My friends, God loves you. This is written to believers. This is an affirmation. See how, when you understand what's been given to you, see how God has loved you. He has lavished his love on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. I'm going to go on past that. We are children of God. We, we have this shared nature. We have been born again, and now we're in a family. We are children, and I'm your brother, and, and you are my brothers and my sisters. God is our father. Also, we've been adopted by God as sons and daughters. Now, this is similar but different, and uh, please watch this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul begins in worship. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you know that's true about you if you are a follower of Christ? You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. God has stored up for you. 
Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He's adopted you to sonship. I said this was different. This is not about male. This is a position. This is not male. This is not a gender issue. Sonship. So in our culture, we would say sons and daughters. But sonship was the position of inheritance. Uh, it's, it was the position of the eldest son in the Old Testament. Oh, he predestined us for adoption. Now, person, personally, I was adopted when I was six weeks old. It was a great day. I, I remember. No, I don't. <laughs> but I grew up in a home where my parents told me when they talked about adoption, they said, you're special. You can imagine a lot of people would have thought that for different reasons. But <laughs> what, what my parents told me was is that I was chosen. That they, didn't just have, they didn't just take what came down the pike. They, they picked me. They chose me. I was adopted. Now, that had an impact because I never thought adopted meaning anything subpar. In fact, when a new family moved into our neighborhood, it's one of the first things I told them. I'm adopted. And, you know, I just sort of puffed up a little bit because I thought it meant I might be a little bit better than their kids, you know. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> okay, next we've been given the father's inheritance. Now, an inheritance is something that a relative might leave to another family member after they die. Jesus died. And he has left something for you and for me that will last for an eternity. It's written in his last will and testament. We call it the New Testament. So it's important that you get to know that part of the Bible, the New Testament. But it includes all of these things we've been talking about. And there's so many things that are, you're going to see and you're going to experience, you're going to feel in eternity that are very real. Okay. Um, we all, lastly, at this point, is we are members of God's household. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. This is another way to talk about this. Uh, Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Um, that was uh, for a... For a first century Jewish person, a foreigner and a stranger meant an outsider. And so Gentiles were outsiders until Jesus. And now they're included by faith in Jesus Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. You are the real deal. You know, Jewish people don't have a higher standing than you do. It's Christians... Um, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Next slide. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. 
So we are members of God's household. Um, it means we get to live with him in the big house. And it's going to be forever. And right now, he lives with us. All right? Last point. Our gift of salvation changes our past, present, and future. You've done a really good job staying with me. We're almost there. Our gift of salvation changes our past, present, and future. Um, God's gift of salvation is for all of life. I'm going to start with uh, one of the most simple and most important is we have been forgiven by God. That's kind of a really big deal because I have a lot of sin, a lot of stuff that's really embarrassing. And I've been forgiven. I don't deserve it. I never deserve it. I never will deserve it. I'm not good enough. I never will be. I deserve punishment for my sin. Yet God is the judge. Uh, you know, our culture will say, well, you don't deserve punishment. You're basically a good person. God says, I deserve punishment, eternal punishment. Um, but Jesus already took my punishment. That's the good news. And that's the message we need to share with our world. It's already been done, but it doesn't benefit anyone if we don't engage with God on his terms by faith. Jesus paid for my sin penalty, my death penalty. He's the one who provides my pardon. And the judge says, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. You are forgiven. Um, Ephesians 1, uh, verses 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption. It, actually, when you go through a passage like this, Ephesians 1 is just loaded with stuff about the gift of your salvation. There are already many more things like in this passage than just forgiveness. But in him we have redemption. Redemption is part of that. It means that... Uh, there's been a price paid for your sin. It was Jesus' life. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished, lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So we have forgiveness of sin. Um, we don't deserve it. I was forgiven all my sins. Now think about this. I was forgiven all my sins, all of my past sins. You have been forgiven all of your past sins. I might sin today accidentally, or I might get angry and do it on purpose kind of thing. My sin is forgiven. I don't deserve it. I might sin next week. My sin is forgiven in eternity. Okay? Now, if I get angry at my wife today and start arguing with her. I've messed up my walk with God. And I've sinned. Now what I need to do is confess my sin to God and ask for forgiveness and ask forgiveness for my wife as well. And then I'm cleansed, forgiven. So think in terms of I am a child of God. You got kids? You had kids? Did you kick them out just because they disobeyed you. Probably not. 
What you hoped was that they'd come back and say they were sorry and that your relationship would be restored. When, when your kids mess up, it affects their relationship with you. The same is true with God. I'm a child of God. I don't deserve to be. When I sin today, it affects my relationship with God. It messes it up, puts it into a disharmonious harmonious state, and I need to get back with God. I need to, that's why we have 1 John 1, 9. It's written to Christians only. It's not written, it's not the part of the gospel as far as it's not for people to be saved. If we confess our sins, Christians, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. I can be purified right on the spot for my sin. My sin in the past, my sin today, my sin in the future because I'm a child of God. It's because of my identity. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And we will never deserve it. It's grace. I'm going to jump down to B. We have been declared righteous before God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul writes, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified through faith. Now, justification is one of those big theological terms in the Bible. Um, very simply, a way to talk about it is we have been declared righteous. It's a legal term. We have been declared righteous in the courts of heaven by God. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And now when God looks at my, me and my account before him and how I stand before him, he says, you're declared righteous. That's true of you. You are declared righteous if you have put your faith in Christ. You don't deserve it. Next, we've been reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. New creation. When I placed my faith in Christ, I was 25 years old, I became a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus. What is that? I was born again. I got this new spiritual life. I, I had become a new creature, a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled, there it is, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself. The Bible says that before we became followers of Christ, we were at enmity with God. Sort of like, Husband and wife in conflict. Enmity. And that's the, way, that's the way it was. And nothing was changing that until we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And God reconciled us. He outfitted us so that we could have a relationship with him. And he moved toward us so that we could begin a relationship that was eternal and spiritual and a eternal connection with God. Um, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What do you think about that? 
Now it's our job, it's our mission to take this good news to our world and help people understand it so that they can be connected with God, so that they can start a relationship, so they can experience a new birth, a new path, a new connection with God, a new capacity to please God. So let's go back to where we started. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians, are we, can we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? We, uh, I, I will go there. There we go. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Yeah, got that? It's by grace. You don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. It's through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God not by works that no one can boast. So, pretty simple. It's not about us. It's a God thing, right? Okay, got it. Last verse. We didn't look at this one. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we've looked at this before, but I want you to think about this. We are God's handiwork. Everything I have said this morning is about God's handiwork and your salvation. It's the gift. It's a pretty big deal. If you take the New Testament and you study the whole New Testament and you look at what happens to a person when they place their faith in Christ, what is the result? And if you were to add up all the truths that the New Testament has to say about what you get when you get the gift of salvation... There'd be at least 33 different things, and they're all worth studying. We're just touching some of them today. And um, it's God's handiwork. It's his work. Salvation is his work. We were created in Christ Jesus. We were born again. We were placed in the body of Christ. Why? To do good works. There's a purpose. Uh, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God always had a plan for your life. He always had a plan for you to do things that would honor him, to do good works, to be on his mission, not necessarily your mission. The great thing is we, our personal missions can join under his mission. Um, so I just want to close with uh, two, two, two great questions. The first one is, who are you? Where do you get your primary identity for your life? Do you find your primary, you know, I have a lot of things that make up my identity. I'm a dad. I love having kids. I'm a husband. I love being married. I'm a pastor. I really like my job. Uh, I happen to be male. That's part of my identity. Nothing really great about that. It's just that uh, that's who I am, you know, part of who I am. It describes me. But primarily, are you, um, do you find your identity in Christ and who that he says you are? Not who does other people say you are. 
Who does he say you are? What difference does it make that you're a child of God? What difference does it make that you're forgiven? What difference does it make that you're loved? What difference does it make? This is one of the things we, didn't, we read about, but we didn't really emphasize, that you're a citizen of heaven. You already are, have citizenship papers. Who are you? Second great question. What will you do with your life? If God created you to do good works, what are you going to do with your life? What will you do this week? If God has created good works for you to do, he, he created them, he prepared these things in advance for you to do. What will you do this week? And so I'm asking you, would you, I want you to take some time and evaluate this week where do you find your personal identity? Okay? The second question is, what things will you do this week to serve God? What things has God already prepared? And maybe you don't know what they are yet, but he's going to unfold them this week by faith. And so ask him this week what he wants you to do this week. Okay? Be intentional. Ask him. This is a really good way to live. Okay? Let's stand and let's pray. Father in heaven, we just uh, bow before you, and um, it's pretty amazing the gift you've given us, and we just take it for granted, and we say things like, say things like yeah, we're saved, and uh, it's such an amazing gift. And we give you praise, and we say thank you, God. May we uh, grow in our appreciation and understanding of it. And may we more and more find our identity there, what it means to be a child of God. And um, living out the implications of how a child of God lives in our culture so people can identify us as somehow related to Jesus and Father, I pray uh, about our, our future, uh, what you will have us to do as the Bridge Church and what you will have us to do individually this week, God. Um, what are those things that you have prepared in advance so that we can walk in them so that just um, day by day as we seek to follow you, you'll just show us what those things are and we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get to those and we'll, this is it. This is what God wants me to do this day, this week. So thank you, God, that you're leading and you're directing your church, and uh, we uh, trust you and we look to your leadership this week. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.